Well, I hope you've had a good day today. It's been a very nice day, a relaxing day. Uh, I was taking a walk this afternoon, and I crossed somebody, and that person's probably here somewhere. And as we uh, crossed each other, he made an interesting comment. He just said, I've been blessed by your meetings so far. <laughs> and I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know, the first night, uh, last night, we talked about who the bloody woman is, and that went really well. And this morning, we went into uh, who is the seven-headed beast, and the brother was blessed by that. But I think maybe, maybe he was kind of refraining himself to, uh, you know, wait and see what happens next. And so that's what's going to happen tonight. Tonight, we are continuing this four-part series dealing with the deep truths of the book of Revelation, chapter 17, one of the uh, most amazing chapters in the Bible. And... Our talk tonight, part three, is called There Are Seven Kings, based on Revelation chapter 17, verse 10 and 11. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open up, we read this during the scripture reading. And by the way, uh, my little book, The Bloody Woman and the Seven-Headed Beast, we've got a lot of them in the uh, little bookstore over there, got a whole stack of them. Uh, For this meeting, they're only $2 a book, so that's pretty cheap. And there's a lot of information in this. This book is is a missionary book. It wasn't just written for us. It was written to be shared with the public for people that have an interest uh, in studying the deep truths of the book of Revelation. So the seven kings. Let's, uh, Let's pray and let's pray for God's blessing that part three will go as well as parts one and two. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of being here. And as we uh, dive deep into your book and into your chapter and look at a very uh, controversial and interesting and important subject, we pray for the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of God. And Lord, I don't want to be an innovator. I want to simply reveal Uh, be a channel for your truth that's in your word, that Jesus will be lifted up. We pray for your blessing now. Please help us to understand. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, and I guess I should welcome those of you that are not here in front of me, but are out there somewhere, who knows where. Hello to you. You're part of this as well on on the online audience. All right. Chapter 17. Oops, let me go back. I'm ahead of myself. Verse 10. In verse 10, the angel said to John that there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short space. And then verse, those are the kings. And then verse 8, or verse 11, goes back to the beast. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and he's of the seven. And he goes into perdition. Now, that's a mouthful, wouldn't you say? I tell you, uh, these verses... These two verses have mystified and baffled scholars and Bible prophecy students for centuries trying to figure this out. I have wrestled with these verses myself, and as I told you, I think it was Friday night, last night, uh, after a journey of about two years trying to figure this out and studying this and praying and going this direction, running into a roadblock, going that direction, running into a roadblock, and then getting over a roadblock, and then going this way and that way. Uh, I've had ideas that I've given up, uh, and I've been, you know, just going back and forth on this. The pieces finally came together to the point where I felt comfortable to stand in front of an audience and share my views. So that's where we're going. We're going to take a look. I'll share with you my view. And of course, I encourage uh, everybody, I always do this, 
to test everything by Scripture. That's what we want to do. Test it by the Bible. Now, let's go back to verse 9. Verse 9 says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And I've talked about this uh, last night and this morning that I've adopted a principle which I call the symbol to literal principle. I gave you examples of those principles in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, uh, Daniel 8, Revelation 17, that when a symbol is used and then an angel or a prophet interprets the symbol, we see over and over again that the application is literal. And so I accept that application when it comes to the seven heads, which are the symbol, are, which is the application, the seven mountains on which the woman sits. And as I've mentioned this before, mountains uh, in the Greek, uh, Strong's Concordance says it can also mean hills. And Rome is famous for centuries as the city of seven hills. And then you can actually see those seven hills right there. They have different names. And right next to that picture, you'll see a, an old Roman coin from one of the Roman emperors, Vespasian. And you can see, if you look closely, that uh, the that old coin of Rome depicts a woman sitting on seven hills. So the seven-hilled city of Rome is uh, is classic. Protestant interpreters for hundreds of years have understood this to represent the Church of Rome sitting on the city of seven hills, like we talked about uh, Friday night in our first meeting. Now, I've mentioned a couple times that in my studies, I've also concluded that there is a, another principle called the principle of dual application. And that there are times when that principle is valid. We see that in Matthew 24, where Jesus talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And that also has an application to the end of the world. And we see this also in the book of Revelation. Now, let me show you where this is in the book of Revelation. This is fascinating. If you go back to verse 7, which is the context of the seven kings... Verse 7 says, The angel said to me, Wherefore did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery, notice the word mystery, of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. So notice the word mystery. We have a woman representing a false church, and we have a beast with seven heads and ten horns. Now, keep your finger here in Revelation 17 and go back to chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and I, I don't remember exactly how many months ago when I was studying this, and it sure seemed to me that the Holy Spirit, as I was trying to figure this out, led me to Revelation chapter 1, and I saw something that I'd never seen before. You know, the, the lights just go on. In Revelation chapter 1, uh, Jesus, John sees Jesus walking in the midst of how many candlesticks? Seven. Seven candlesticks. And then if you look at verse 20, Jesus begins to explain this. He, he, he's beginning to explain the mystery. Notice the word mystery. We just saw that in chapter 17. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which is the symbol, seven candlesticks were a symbol, which you saw, and then he says they are, here's the application, and what does he say they are? He said they are the seven churches. Now, uh, think about this. In chapter 1 and in chapter 17, we have two mysteries. Jesus said, I'm going to explain the mystery. And the angel said, I'll tell you the mystery. So two mysteries. We also have two women, really. We have the false woman in chapter 17. And then we have Jesus talking about his church in chapter 1. 
We also have two interpreters. In chapter 1, Jesus is the interpreter. And in chapter 17, the angel is the interpreter. So two mysteries, two women, two interpreters. And we also have two sets of seven. We have seven churches and we have seven heads. So do you see the parallels? There's clear parallels. Two mysteries, two churches, two interpreters, and two sets of sevens. Now, if you go back to verse, let's see, where is it? Verse 11, Jesus says in chapter 1, verse 11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, which you see right in the book, and send it to the seven churches, which are where? They're in Asia. Now, notice these parallels. Here I have a slide here where we have the seven churches, which were in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, and there literally were seven churches there, weren't there? You can do your homework on this. You can study these churches. You can go to uh, read about the, the town of Laodicea, of, of the city of Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Pergamos. Those were real churches that were in Asia. So what we have is Jesus says the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, which were literal churches in literal Asia. And then we also have the seven heads, our seven mountains on which the woman sits literally in Italy. So we have Asia is the location of the churches of Jesus Christ. And Rome at that point is the location of the false church sitting upon the city of seven hills. Are you following me? See the parallels? Two churches, two sets of sevens, two mysteries that are being explained by Jesus and by the angel. Now, here's where the, the dual application comes in. And I think I would assume that all of us know this, that the seven churches that were in Asia, is that the end-all application to the seven churches? Is that it? Or do they have an application, another application, to time periods throughout Christian history? I see heads nodding. Yes, Ephesus applies to the period of the early church. And then Smyrna is another period. And then uh, Pergamos and Thyatira going all the way down to the last period, which is what period? Laodicea, which is our period, the period of the Laodicean church. So my point is that the symbol, the seven candlesticks, applies to the literal churches in Asia, but it has another application to periods that span the ages. Following me? That's, that's true. It's a fact, a fact of, uh, of Bible prophecy. In the same way, because we have the parallels between chapter 1 and chapter 17, I also see an application not just to the literal seven-hilled city of Rome, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits, but there are also seven kings that span the ages. Seven kings. And there's some debate whether the seven kings are separate from the seven heads or whether the seven heads apply to the seven uh, mountains and then also to the seven kings. I favor the latter view, that the seven heads have an application to the literal seven-hilled city of Rome, and then the seven kings have a secondary application, or the, the seven heads have a secondary application <clears throat> to seven kings. So are you following me? I know this takes close thought, but the seven heads represent the seven mountains on which the woman sits, but they also apply to seven kings that span the ages. Just like the seven churches apply to the literal churches in Asia 
but they also span the ages. Same thing, a, a principle of dual application. Now, let's go back to chapter 17. Verse 9, the angel said, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And then he continued and says, And there are seven kings as well. Now, when we talk about these kings, based on the principle which I call the Daniel and Revelation principle, that we stick to Daniel and Revelation to try to understand Daniel and Revelation. Seven kings, the word king in prophecy also means kingdom. And that's very clear from Daniel chapter 7. And remember, chapter 17 in Revelation is linked to chapter 13, which is linked to chapter 12, which takes us back to Daniel 7 and to Daniel 2, they're all linked together. And I realize you have to have some background in prophecy in order to follow this. Uh, it's almost like Revelation 17 sort of assumes that we know chapter 2, that we know chapter 7, that we know Revelation 12 and 13, and then it starts putting all these pieces together based on the fact that we have a knowledge of those other chapters. God wants us to understand Daniel and Revelation. So in Daniel 7, and you can see this on the screen, I'll just go this, through this briefly. Uh, Daniel 7, verses 4 to 7, Daniel had a dream of four beasts. Remember that? Four different beasts. And notice verse 17. In verse 17, Daniel 7, 17, and I want us to see this in your, in your Bible. This is very important. Daniel 7, 17 says, These great beasts, which, which are four, how many are they? Four. How many kings are we dealing with in Revelation 17? Seven. Now here we've got four. And I'm going to build my case that these four are the first four of the seven. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. And we also know from verse, okay, there I've got it, four kings. Those four beasts are four kings. We have seven kings in Revelation 17.10. And here we have four in Daniel 7 verse 17. And we know from verse 23 Verse 23 says, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? Kingdom upon the earth. So four beasts are four kings, which represent four kingdoms upon the earth. You following me? A beast is a king, and a king is a kingdom. And we know from history, this is basic history, that the four Kings or kingdoms in Daniel 7 started with Babylon and then Persia and then Greece and then Rome. Following me? We, we know that from the study of Daniel 2 in history and we know that from Daniel chapter 7. And let me see what I've got here in my next slide. Four kings. Did I go to the... Yes, I did that. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. All right, now, let's go back to chapter 17. Daniel, our Revelation chapter 17. And this is going to come together. Based on the Daniel and Revelation principle, we know that kings represent kingdoms. Based on the Daniel and Revelation principle, it makes sense to me that we should look for the identity of the seven kings or kingdoms within the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Because chapter 17 is based on 13, which is based on 12, which goes back to Daniel 7. So it makes sense that uh, 17 is building on previous prophecies. All right, so now here's the two verses. 
got them on the screen there. And you've got to really, you know, put on your Sherlock Holmes hats and your detective hats and take a close look at this verse. And I like uh, the talk that Norbert gave earlier today where he mentioned that the mind that has wisdom is a humble mind. I really appreciated that talk that he gave. I'm a strong believer in that, that we need humble minds to take a look at what God says. So look at this again. There are seven kings. Five have fallen. And that from the point of the angel, he's looking back. And he says, five have fallen. Then he says, one is. That's the present moment when the angel was talking to John. And then he said, and the other one has not yet come. That's future. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. So that, that verse is talking about the kings. But then the next verse is talking about the beast itself. The beast that was, which is in the past, and is not, that's present, is himself also the eighth. And he is of the seven, and he's going into perdition in the future. So if you really, you know, look at this carefully, what's happening is that five are fallen and one is. One is active. One of the kings is active. At the same time, that the beast was and now is not. He's not active, or at least not politically active like he used to be. So we got two ises at the same time. One of the kings is, which would be which number? If five are fallen, which one is? Six, right. The sixth king is active. At the same time that the beast is not So you got one is and one isn't at the same time. Are you following me? Yes? No? Okay. That's what the text says. One is and one is not at the same time. Now, uh, the key to understanding this prophecy, I'm convinced, is to identify the time period of the is you got to have the is straight. Uh, a lot of people who look at this prophecy, they assume that the is is John's day. So from John's day, where the, when the Roman Empire was ruling, they look back and they try to count five kings. And to make it fit, they go outside of Daniel and Revelation. So they go five kings and they start with Egypt and Assyria. And then they go Babylon, Persia, and Greece. And the one that is, is the Roman Empire at the time of John. Have you heard that idea? That's probably one of the dominant ideas. The other day I was on the internet and I was Googling charts of the five are fallen, one is, and the other's not yet come to see if there's there's any pictures out there. Because I have to create this on my own because I've, and I've never done this before. What I'm doing here, I've never done before. I've never had a meeting on this before. I've never had slides on this before. I've created these slides for you, for this meeting. And I was looking for some charts to make it easier on myself. And when I went on to the internet and looked for pictures, I saw many charts that said five are fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. And I thought, that, you know, that's not right. Because the point of reference is not John's day. As we've already talked about earlier, the point of reference, as I talked about in the last meeting, and I'm not going to repeat all that I did in the last meeting, is John is taken by the angel away into the wilderness by an angel who is one of the angels with the seven last plagues. So chapter 17 is an end time chapter, not a first century chapter. John is taken away in the spirit and he goes into the wilderness. And we talked about that in the last meeting. And not only that, he sees a woman on a beast that has no crowns on its heads or its horns indicating that 
this uh, beast and this woman has been wounded. And as we read in chapter 13, and you actually see the wound mentioned three times in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 3, verse 10, and verse 14 all describe the wound. That we're, that the angel then takes us in chapter 17 to the time of the wound, which we talked about in the last meeting. What is the year of that wound? Remember that? 1798, which Daniel's prophecy tells us, Daniel uh, 12, at the end of the 1260 years, it takes us to the time of the end. And in the time of the end, knowledge increases. Because now we've got more information that people in the past have not had. They've never been able to really understand this prophecy until you get to the time of the end. So I'm convinced that 1798, the time when the woman is in the wilderness with a, on a beast with no crowns, is the time of the deadly wound. And if we, if we look at that from that perspective, here's a chart that I created just for you. <laughs> I want to make this simple as possible. From 1798, we go back. Five have fallen. And, and who would those five kings or kingdoms be based on Daniel 7, Revelation 12, and Revelation 13? The five that have fallen would be Babylon, Persia, Greece, Imperial Rome, and then Papal Rome during the 1260 years. Five have fallen. And then it says one is. 1798 was when the fifth one fell. Remember, there's four in Daniel 7, right? Four kings. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. That's four. And then the fifth one is the beast in Revelation 13 that gets a wound. That's number five. And at that point, the uh, fifth king has just gone down. The woman is in the wilderness. The crowns have been knocked off. And the beast has received a deadly wound. And then we've got one is, which is the sixth king, which we've got to try to figure out. And then the seventh king is still coming. He hasn't come yet. And when he comes, he's going to continue for a short space. And in 1798, look at the bottom line. The beast that was during the 1260 years. Now he's not because he was wounded. He's in a wounded state. But he's going to come back as the eighth, who is of the seven, and goes into perdition. Now, uh, I was talking about this with a couple of gentlemen today over uh, lunch. Two men that have keen minds that are here in this audience. Won't uh, mention their names, but they were tracking right with me. 1798, five are fallen. Babylon, Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, papal Rome. And then I said, what, what king was coming up at the same time that the fifth king had gone down? That's right. And they looked at me, and one of them just nailed it because the answer is obvious, who the sixth king is. Now, before I uh, uh, mention the name of that king, let's go back to chapter 13, and let's nail this down a little bit more. Revelation uh, 12 is the first seven-headed beast, which is the fourth king, which is the Imperial Roman Empire. Revelation 13 describes the second seven-headed beast, which is Papal Rome, also sitting upon the city of seven hills. And the wound is described in verse 3. I saw one of his heads. One of his heads. I've wrestled with that. And that's why I believe that the seven kings are also the heads. 
I don't believe they're separate from the heads. I believe it's a dual application, that the seven heads are the seven mountains and the seven heads are the seven kings because here's one head wounded. If you take the seven kings and separate them from the seven heads, then you have a problem here. What does that mean? One of the heads were wounded. The only way to explain one of the heads being wounded is if the heads also apply to the seven kings. It's the only way. So one of the heads, which would be the fifth head, was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now, notice verse 10. Verse 10 also describes the wound. Verse 10 says, He who leads into captivity, which is what the papal power did during the Dark Ages, led people into captivity, spiritual captivity, and then it says he will go into captivity. He's going into the wilderness stage. He who kills with the sword, which is what the Roman church did, through the sword of civil governments. Romans 13 says that the civil governments don't bear the sword in vain. The sword applies to civil authority. And it was civil authority that established the papal power in the time of uh, Clovis and in the time of Justinian. And now it's the civil power that knocked him out. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. It was the civil power, a civil power, that knocked the papacy for a knockout punch. And what civil power was that? France, that's right. During the French Revolution, the time of Napoleon, the Republic of France removed the papal power by taking the Pope into captivity, took Pope Pius VI captive. And we know that this is the time of the wound because if you go down to the end of verse 14, it talks about the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So we know the wound is in verse 3, the wound is in verse 10, and the wound is mentioned in verse 14. That's very clear. So in verse 10, the beast is going down. And in verse 11, another beast is coming up. Coming up at the same time. Are you following me? Verse 11 says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. I've written a book on this. I didn't bring it with me, but it's a little book called The United States in Bible Prophecy. And in the Bloody Woman book, there's a whole chapter on the sixth king, which goes into this in detail. We know a beast represents a kingdom. We know that from the Bible. And uh, John saw another beast or another kingdom coming up. The Greek word for coming up means coming up like a plant. He comes up out of the earth in contrast to the sea, which represents lots of people. He's coming up out of the earth or an area where there's not a lot of people. He's a, and he has two horns representing a division of power in the government of that nation. And notice what's not on those horns. Crowns, because crowns represent kingly power. And this government has horns without crowns because it's not ruled by a king. It's more of a, a democratic nation of the people, by the people, for the people. And the two horns are like a lamb. And the lamb represents who in the Bible? Jesus, primarily, right? Now, this beast is not Jesus, but it's lamb-like. And uh, here's a very significant text, and I don't have time to build all this up right now. Uh, I have this whole series in a, another video series on our YouTube channel called Startling Prophecies for America. You can watch it for free on the White Horse Media YouTube channel. And I have a whole meeting on the United States in Prophecy and I go into Matthew 22, verse 21, where Jesus, the Lamb of God, said to a group of Pharisees, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The things that belong to Caesar and the things that belong to God. And in doing that, Jesus is separating the things of 
Caesar, which are the things of government, from the things of God, which are the things of religion. And he's building a, a separation there, showing the proper sphere of the two, of the two. And the incredible thing is, and I shared this at the Pentagon. I had a chance to go to the Pentagon one time in 2007. I shared this with a whole group of people, about a hundred people that worked in the Pentagon. And I went right through Revelation 13, verse 11. And I, and I showed them that the history of the United States Constitution is based on the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. That is the basis of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution that says that Congress, representing government, shall make no law to establish religion or to prohibit a free exercise thereof. We are the nation that has two horns like a lamb. There's a a book written by Bancroft, an old book called The uh, History of the United States Constitution, and he said that the principle of the Bill of Rights goes all the way back to Judea, to a voice that said, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's amazing. We, of all the beasts in Daniel 7, there's only one that has lamb-like principles. And who is that? It's the United States of America. That's right. We, we live in an amazing country. And, the, and this country rose up as the, as the beast was going down. And the reason why we developed religious freedom was because there was no religious freedom during the Dark Ages. And the principles of the lamb-like beast were directly developed in opposition to the principles of the, of the first beast. That's why we're here. That's who America is. That's what we are all about. We are, in spite of our problems, the most powerful nation on the planet. We can argue that the United States is the greatest nation that has ever lived, ever risen on the stage of world history. It's the only nation that has the principles of Jesus Christ that establish religious freedom like this country does that's ever arisen in the history of nations. And do you think that God would overlook this nation in his prophecies? No, we're right there in Revelation 13, 11, and I'm convinced that we're there in Revelation 17. We are the sixth king. Five have fallen. One is, when, when Rome went down in 1798, America was coming up in 1776. 1787. 1791, the Bill of Rights. We're right there. So if we go back to my little chart here, we've got five have fallen from 1798, looking back. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Imperial Rome, Papal Rome during the 1260. One is, which is the United States of America, the sixth king. And then we have to figure out, well, who's the seventh king that hasn't come yet and comes for short space? And you go down below that, the beast that was during the 1260 is not in 1798 because he was wounded. He's He comes back as the eighth, and he's of the seven. He's in there among the seven. And he's going to perdition. So now, uh, I think I built a pretty good case. I think it's pretty solid. When you go from chapter 17 back to chapter 13, you see the beast wounded, you see him going into captivity, he's going down, and the next king's coming up. Right? I think that's solid information. To me, it makes perfect sense. So now, if that is correct, who is the seventh king who hasn't come yet and is coming for a short space? Let's try to figure this out. Are you tracking with me? Okay, good. All right, five have fallen. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Imperial Rome, which was the first seven-headed beast. 
in chapter 12 of Revelation. Papal Rome, during the 1260, wounded in 1798, he's the second seven-headed beast. One is, which is the United States, with two horns like a lamb, rising in 1776. The other has not yet come. We haven't figured that out yet. And then the beast that was during the 1260 is not in 1798 because he's wounded. He's now in the wilderness. No crowns on the heads or horns. Comes out of the bottomless pit, is revived. That's the revived papacy, which is the third seven-headed beast. So we have the three beasts representing phases of Rome. Imperial Rome, Papal Rome, and then wounded, and then Papal Rome coming back as the eighth king. You tracking with me? All right, so now let's zero in on the seventh king. Who is that seventh king? Now, here's something very significant that I studied this, and I I pondered this, I prayed over this, I've tried to figure this out, and I saw something the other day that was very significant, and that is that king number four, you can see on the left side, in the blue, king number four, imperial Rome, and king number five, which is papal Rome during the 1260, they, they represent, a, you have a, the fourth king, and then the fifth king is a phase of the fourth king. And then the eighth king is the revived papacy, so you have, you know, was, is not, and is coming back. So you have number four and number five and number eight are phases. See that? And if four and five and eight are phases of the Roman Empire, then to me it makes sense that maybe the sixth that is lamb-like is going to be followed by a phase where it's going to change its character. You see, the, the, uh, the fourth king was the Roman Empire, which was secular, largely, or at least pagan, and then it moved into an apostate Christian, quote-unquote Christian phase, where the popes, ruled Europe through the kings. So could the sixth king be the United States in its lamb-like stage that still promotes freedom to some extent and followed by a seventh phase where it, where the two horns break down? The two horns like a lamb break down, and then how does it speak? That's right. It speaks like a dragon. Now go back to chapter 13. Notice what happens to the lamb-like beast. And I'm going to build my case that the seventh king that comes for a short space is the final phase of the United States of America which becomes a persecuting power. As you read on in chapter 13, and it makes so much sense since the seven kings and Revelation 17 are built on Daniel 2, 7, 8, Revelation 12, and 13. It makes sense that Revelation 17 would continue the same story. We're not speculating here. We're not going into, you know, all these different views that are out there. We're sticking with the sequence of Daniel and Revelation. So in chapter 13, uh, in verse 11, it speaks like a dragon. Verse 12, it exercises all the power of the first beast. It leads people to worship the first beast. Miracles happen in verse 13. Fire comes down from heaven. In verse 14, people are deceived. And then an image of the beast is set up. An image of the first beast, which had the wound by the sword and did live. Verse 15, life is given to the image of the beast. He had power to give life to the image. So the image takes on a life of its own. 
And then it speaks, which means passing laws, and it causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So much for religious freedom. So much for freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peaceably assemble. All that goes out the window at the conclusion of Revelation 13. And then finally, what does it enforce? It enforces a mark. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. So the lamb-like beast changes, speaks like a dragon, sets up an image of the first beast, gives up its principles of religious freedom, and enforces the mark of the beast. And it's very interesting that this image of the beast phase of America in chapter 16, Revelation 16, is given a new name. Chapter 16, verse 13 says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Remember, that's Imperial Rome, also the devil. And it comes out of the, the dragon was the first seven-headed beast. And then the spirits come out also out of the mouth of the beast, which is the second seven-headed beast in chapter 13, right? First one in chapter 12, second one in chapter 13. And then it also comes out of whose mouth? It says the mouth of the false prophet. So America then in its freedom-denying stage has a new title. And the title is The False Prophet. And if you look at chapter 19, Revelation 19, verse 20, it says that the beast was taken. And that's after the beast revives and does his final part at the end of the world. The beast was taken and with him, who? The false prophet who wrought the miracles that we see in chapter 13 before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them which had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So they're, they're both at the end working together, and they're both cast into the lake of fire. So we have five are fallen, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Imperial Rome, Rome, Papal Rome. One is, the sixth king is the United States, rising in its lamb-like stage. And then the seventh king is the United States in its dragon-like stage. Its image of the beast stage, where it becomes a false prophet. And then the eighth is the resurrected papacy, and so you've got the eighth, the resurrected papacy, the seventh, the United States in its dragon-like image of the beast stage. And these are the final two players. And they both are cast alive into the lake of fire. They, those are the two final players at the end of time. The two final players, are you following this, is America denying religious freedom. And the papacy revived. And I tell you, you know, that's what's going on right now. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing in a crisis that we're in, you know, this pandemic crisis. We're seeing uh, in an emergency global restrictions being enacted. And I believe this is a this is sort of like a stage one preparing us for stage two, which is the final stage where the restrictions really clamp down during the time when the mark of the beast is enforced. And that's where freedom totally goes out the window. Now, here's a question. Why is America called the false prophet at the very end. I've thought about that, and, and it just, I, I believe the Lord has been guiding my mind. 
And this is the conclusion that I've come to, is that when, when the crisis that we're in right now continues to deepen, crisis is not going to go away. I don't, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get back to, quote, normal. I think where things are unraveling and we're now we're stepping up the pace. Strong connections between the Vatican and Washington, D.C., as I talked about last night. We are moving into the final events, which eventually will be rapid ones. And when that time comes, there will there will be a global solution as the judgments of God continue to fall in this world and disasters continue to increase as morality goes down, as society unravels, as freedom continues to disappear, we're going to eventually reach the tipping point and there's going to be a solution between the Vatican and America. And the solution they're going to say is the enforcement of the mark of the beast. America is going to say, this is what we all need to do together. Together, we need to all go along with the mark. And I'm not going to go into what the mark of the beast is right now because we've got people watching. This is going to be, you know, watched by a lot of people. Uh, I don't like to go into details about something. I don't have time to build my case. So it's in the book, though. The Bloody Woman has a whole chapter on the mark of the beast. But just let me say that uh, when that time comes, when there's a a grand supposed solution to all the problems, America is going to say that the mark of the beast is going to solve our problems. It's going to prophesy that this is the solution to the world's woes. And that prophecy is going to be a lie. That's why I believe America becomes a false prophet because it, it's Protestants, Protestant America combined with the papal power reviving predict that this will be the grand solution for the common good. the grand solution for the common good, but it is going to be a lie. It's false prophecy that comes from the seventh king. And and when that time hits, I tell you, the pressure is going to be on those of us who choose that we're not going along with the papal power revived and with the United States in its freedom-denying stage, speaking like a dragon, if we say, we're not going along with this, we're not going to comply. We're going to stand for Jesus and for the Bible and for the Constitution, for freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of the people to peaceably assemble. We're going to stand for conscience and for God, and for the Bible, and for truth. And I tell you, when that time comes, we will become the eye of the storm. All the forces of the dragon, and the beast, and the false prophet, and the miracles are all going to come to bear upon the people who don't go along with this global deception for the common good. We're going to be the eye of the storm. And when that time comes, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the text that says it's only going to last for a short space. I can just see that as these things unfold, and when that time comes, we're going to be saying to each other, it's a short space. It's just a little while. It's just a, a small time. So hold on. So don't give up. So keep your faith. Trust in the Lord. Because when that time comes, when the seventh king hits hard, we need to be encouraged that we've got one final work to do. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to give the loud cry. The final loud cry in Revelation 18 that's going to lighten the earth with its glory. And when that time comes, and I'll close with Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. When that short space comes, we're going to be encouraged to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is almost ready to come. Hallelujah. Verse uh, Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, behold, a white horse. Jesus is described as coming on a white horse in chapter 19. He's described as coming on a cloud in chapter 14. In Matthew 24, he's described as coming on clouds. And he who sat upon the horse was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. He's making war on the dragon, the beast, the false prophets, and the devils that are putting the pressure on the people of God. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no man knew but he himself. And that name applies to what he went through in Gethsemane and on the cross that no one will understand. He's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. God's Word, not the traditions and speculations of men, but the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. And the name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced the five have fallen there behind us. One is still yet right now. The United States is still teetering in its lamb-like stage. But we're right bordering on the dragon stage. We're almost in the time of the seventh king to do his full work for a short space. And then the pressure is going to really be on. But when that time comes, we can be encouraged. Hallelujah. That Jesus is king of kings. And Lord of Lords, he's above all the powers of earth. And he's going to come back again. And he's going to get us out of here and take us to a better land. Hallelujah. I hope you've been blessed tonight. I hope this makes sense. I hope you've been encouraged. You know, study on your own. That's what I've been doing. You know, I appreciated uh, Brother Norbert's talk today that We all need to walk humbly with God. I've been thinking about a verse in Daniel that says, those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. And God wants us to stick with Jesus and stick with his word. So let's pray. And we'll come back tomorrow. I've got one more meeting tomorrow. We'll talk about the ten horns. That's my grand finale. And there's other uh, speakers and singing and May God bless us and those that are watching and uh, get us, may he get us ready for what's soon to break upon this world. Dear Father in heaven, in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, thank you for shedding light on Revelation chapter 17. The time is now. Surely we need to understand the sixth king and the seventh king and the image of the beast and the mark of the beast and the final onslaught of the global forces of evil against your people who stand for Jesus and the Bible and for truth. And Lord, we pray that you will help us and teach us and help us to understand the times in which we live. Lord, we trust you that you'll bring us through whatever happens. We don't need to be afraid God is our refuge and strength, very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Lord, we love you and we long to see you. We pray that you'll come soon and help us until you do to do the work that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.